Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Adi Bolaños in San Francisco. A new bill introduced this week would make it illegal for unhoused residents in California to sit or sleep in certain public spaces. The proposal is already drawing eerie from advocates who say it does little to solve homelessness. KQED's Aaron Baldessari explains. The number of people who spend their nights in tents or vehicles in California grew about 7 percent during the pandemic to more than 116,000 people. And now Republican State Senator Brian Jones says he wants to limit where people can be. His new bill, called SB 31, would prohibit sitting, sleeping or storing belongings in what he calls sensitive areas. That's anywhere within a thousand feet of schools, daycares, parks or libraries. My intent in this is to take one small step uh, just to protect particular areas of our communities so that families and children feel safe. The bill echoes recent legislation passed in Los Angeles, which bans camping within 500 feet of schools. But advocates say these rules create more distrust and instability for people experiencing homelessness. Shayla Myers is a senior attorney with the Legal Aid Foundation of Los Angeles. Criminalization, which is exactly what this proposed statute does, is a tried and true failed policy. In Los Angeles, fewer than 1% of people forced to leave encampments moved into permanent housing, according to recent data from the city's Homeless Services Authority. Myers is focusing on camping bans distracts legislators and the public from a larger question that unhoused people are asking. Which is, where can I go? That is the question we should be answering. For the California Report, I'm Aaron Baldessari. California is home to the largest population of Cambodians in the United States. Most Cambodians who first arrived in the country came as refugees in the 1980s. They were fleeing the communist Khmer Rouge regime, where an estimated 2 million Cambodians were killed through starvation, torture, execution, and much more. Forty years later, Cambodians in California are still grappling with mental health issues caused by this genocide. KVPR's Sarith Hawk looked into how this community is dealing with the trauma and what's being done to help them. She joins me now. Hi, Sarith. Hi. Thanks for having me. Of course. Sarith, you spoke to a few people who survived the Khmer Rouge regime and resettled in California. What was that journey like for them, and how have they tried to deal with the trauma? Yes, you know, it was a really harrowing journey, to say the least. I focused on one Fresno family, a brother and sister, about their memories from that time. Here's Danny Kim, who was born at the start of the regime. I was awakened by the uh, sound of shootings and people screaming. We don't know what war is because, you know, you, you grew up in the middle of it, so you thought that was normal. 
He says the sound was something he soon became used to as a child. His sister, Chinda Kim, was seven when the war started. She was put into forced labor with other children her age, digging and hauling dirt. Here she is describing one of her most painful memories at the time. I kept coughing up blood. I tried to walk. They said I wasn't worth anything if they kept me alive. Almost every Cambodian person is impacted in some way, whether they were born in Cambodia or the U.S. The conversation around mental health care is still really stigmatized, so a vast majority of people have never sought professional treatment at all. Yeah, you also have a personal connection to this history because your parents lived through the genocide. How has that shaped your life and how you deal with mental health? Yes, I am a child of survivors. Uh, My parents, my aunts, uncles, grandparents, family, friends all live through it. And, you know, maybe this characterizes the root of the problem. I never knew that getting mental health care to talk about this experience was something that was needed or even an option. And with your experience as an interpreter and through this reporting, what have you found are some of the biggest challenges that this community faces in getting help? You know, a lot of the people who directly experienced and survived the Khmer Rouge are older now, and for many, Cambodian is still their primary language. So if they do seek care, finding someone who can speak to them in Cambodian is always a challenge. So it's not just understanding the language, but also the culture. You know, there's a stigma around talking about this very dark time in their lives that many people just want to forget. Right. And are there efforts in California aimed at helping this community work through their traumas? If so, is it enough? That was really the light that I found in reporting for this series. Um, There's a program in Oakland that was really tailored for Cambodian refugees dealing with the trauma from the genocide. It's called the Center for Empowering Refugees and Immigrants, or CIRI. And I have to say, I've, I've never seen anything like it. And as someone who is Cambodian, I actually forgot that I was even in a clinical setting because it just felt like I was visiting a family friend's house. And then here in Fresno, you know, although there is a lack of culturally appropriate psychiatric care, there is a really vibrant Cambodian community here. And they cope with the trauma by focusing on culture that's in events like the Cambodian night market, which I talked about throughout the series. It's modeled after the night markets that operate in parts of Cambodia. That was KVPR Sarith Hawk. Her series on mental health in the Cambodian community was produced as a project for the USC Annenberg Center for Health Journalism's 2022 California Fellowship. You can find it at kvpr.org. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. 
The Interior Department finalized the sale of offshore wind leases along California's coast yesterday, with combined bids totaling more than $750 million. KQED's climate editor Kevin Stark reports. In more than 30 rounds over the course of two days, developers bid for five lease areas northwest of Morro Bay and off the coast of Humboldt. The highest bid was over $173 million. Stephanie McClellan is the executive director of the offshore wind nonprofit Turn Forward. She says the companies are well known in the fledgling offshore wind industry. California West Coast offshore wind is off to the races. These are established players. The leases are in good hands. The feds estimate the floating turbines off California's coast could create thousands of new jobs and power more than one and a half million homes. For the California Report, I'm Kevin Stark. And that's the California Report for Thursday, December 8th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. Stanford Healthcare, where their greatest reward is a healthy patient. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.